Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, the podcast where we explore the origins and developments of the DC multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Yes, well, it's all about legacy today. When Peter and I were preparing our episode on issue 55 of Showcase, which dealt with the return of Dr. Fate and Our Man and Solomon Grundy and all that, I had the idea of mentioning the other Dr. Fate, the mid-60s Dr. Fate. Yes. And then Peter suggested that we could go a step further and do a whole episode about not just Dr. Fate, but also the, the superhero who he fought, a superhero called Captain Marvel. Now, it's not the Captain Marvel who you might have come to know recently from the, the Marvel Studios movies, and it's not any of the Marvel comics Captain Marvels, and it's not the character published by Fawcett Comics, who then later bought out by DC called Captain Marvel, you know, with Billy Batson saying Shazam and turning into the big red cheese. Star of a very, very good film a couple of years ago. It's another Captain Marvel. So we're going to do a little, an episode today where we talk about this other Captain Marvel and his adventures and his enemies, many of whom have very familiar names. But before we do him, Peter's going to give us a bit of background on the history of Captain Marvel, the name, before we get to this mid-60s guy. Absolutely, thank you very much. Back in 1939, with the success of DC Comics, or National Comics as they were called then, with the success of their characters, Superman, Batman, etc., Fawcett Publications, which was a publishing house, decided to set up a comic publication arm. Makes sense. Yep. And writer Bill Parker created several superhero characters for their very first comic, which was originally titled Flash Comics. As well as writing stories featuring his own creations, Ibis the Invincible, Spy Smasher, Golden Arrow, Dan Dare, and others. <laughs> yes, Dan Dare, that's a name to conjure with. Yes. He also penned a story about a team of six superpowered heroes, each member of which was blessed with a power granted to them by a figure from mythology. Now, executive director of Fawcett Comics, Ralph Day, I think is how you say his name, D-A-I-G-H, he came up with the idea of combining the six characters into the one hero who would have all their powers. So Parker created such a character and named him Captain Thunder. Captain Thunder. Fantastic. <laughs> Staff artist Charles Clarence Beck, better known as C.C. Beck, designed and drew Parker's story. Now, the first issue of the comic book was printed originally as both Flash Comics and Thrill Comics, so it was under two different titles. Amazing. Uh, both as issue ones, and they both had a low print run. And they came out in the autumn of 1939, both as Ashcan copies. Yeah, little cheap sort of pamphlets just sort of published to secure the copyright. I think I think the covers of them are reprinted in the, the first volume of the Shazam archives, actually, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. So yes, they were printed as Ashcans, as you said, to basically to secure the trademark mm. on the characters. Now, unfortunately, shortly after printing that, Fawcett discovered it couldn't trademark Captain Thunder, Flash Comics, or Thrill Comics, because all three names were already in use. Yes. So the title was changed to Wiz Comics, and Fawcett artist Pete Costanza suggested changing Captain Thunder's name to Captain Marvelous. Right. When the, which then the editor shortened to Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel. But the story had already been made, so they had to change the word balloons in the story and re-letter them all just to have him called Captain Marvel in it. It's very interesting that what became Captain Marvel was essentially originally devised as six separate superheroes, each you know, with a main sort of power, because that's pretty much what they've done with, sh- yeah. with the Shazam characters mm-hmm. nowadays. If you've seen the movie, you'll see that done very, very well indeed. It's interesting. It just shows, I suppose, that a good idea can't go away. Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. So West Comics issue 2, cover dated February 1940, came out in late 1939, and that's the official debut of Captain Marvel. Yeah. And in it, a 12-year-old orphan called Billy Batson encountered the ancient wizard Shazam. 
He gives Billy an incredible gift. When Billy says the wizard's name, a bolt of magic lightning strikes him, transforming him into Captain Marvel, the world's mightiest mortal. The wizard's name. Fantastic. Yes. yes. Now, Shazam's name was an acronym derived from the six immortal elders who grant Captain Marvel his superpowers of superhuman strength, speed, flight, and other abilities. Mm. And they, of course, are... Solomon, Hercules, Atlas, Zeus, Achilles, and Mercury. I'm getting chills you just talking about it. I really am. <laughs> Even just you sort of listing all the, the the elders' names there, because you know Captain Marvel, Shazam was one of the first superhero comics I read when I was like a kid in the seventies, because my dad had read Captain Marvel. I'm sure I said this already when we talked about Marvel Man. And it's just such when you're a little kid that loves Greek mythology and all that, a superhero that gets his powers from Zeus and Mercury, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it really is superb. As well as Wiz Comics number two being the first appearance of Cap, Shazam and Billy, uh, it was also the first appearance of his arch nemesis, Dr. Savannah, yep. who was a short, bald, evil mad scientist. Yep. It also set up Billy as a reporter for the Wiz radio station. Now, Captain Marvel was an instant success, and Wiz Comics issue two sold over half a million issues. Blimey! Now, from a sales point of view, over his entire publishing period, Captain Marvel was the most popular superhero of the 1940s, yep. outselling even Superman. Yep. Now, Fawcett knew they were onto a winner, and they spun out several other characters adding to this Marvel family, including Mary Marvel, who was the star of WoW Comics, and Captain Marvel Jr., who headed up Master Comics. Yep. They even created Hoppy the Marvel Bunny mm. for fans of the funny animal stories. Now, Captain Marvel was still was published in Wiz Comics, but he did get his own title, Captain Marvel Adventures, in 1941, and the first issue of that was written and drawn by Captain America creators Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. Yep. For much of the Golden Age, Captain Marvel comics outsold all the other titles on the shelves. Captain Marvel Adventures itself sold 14 million copies in 1944. That's insane. And was at one point being published bi-weekly with a circulation of 1.3 million copies an issue. That's mental. 1.3 million copies an issue. They'd kill for figures like that nowadays, wouldn't they? Yeah. Several issues of Captain Marvel Adventures included a blurb on their covers saying the series is the largest circulation of any comic magazine. I love it. I do. Of course, there was the excellent movie serial as well, wasn't there? Yes, there was a Republic movie serial. It was actually one of the first, I think it may have been the first proper superhero one. I'm actually, to be honest, because of all this Captain Marvel research, I was actually in the middle of rewatching that just now. Really? <laughs> <I'm> in episode 7. <laughs> it's Captain Marvel against the Scorpion. I can't remember if I've got it on DVD. I know I've got it, I've got it on VHS. Yes, yeah, great fun. He's an absolute beast. Mm-hmm. He throws people off the tops of buildings and shoots them down with machine guns. He's great. <laughs> he takes no prisoners. Yes, it's, uh, it's rather bizarre. Yeah. And Billy's about 30 years old, yeah. it? which is a bit strange. <laughs> So the Scorpion's basically, you know, your standard Republic villain. Yeah. Is a guy in a hood and a deep voice. But they've got this device. With the same Republic villain gun that will melt walls like it seems to do in every single Republic serial that I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, except this is uh, created from an ancient Egyptian device, which is like a, a giant scorpion with different lenses on yeah. it. You have to align the lenses for the heat rate to work. Yeah. It's, so it's got a whole bit of mythology to it. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's great. And I think that... That preceded, uh, like, the Superman serial and I think the other Batman serials as well. It's certainly one of the most fondly remembered Republic serials, mm. I would say. Mm. But yeah, great fun at the time. So yes, all was going very well for Fawcett. Now, DC Comics weren't hugely happy at the success of Captain Marvel, who they felt was very, very, very similar to their successful character, Superman. And so they started legal proceedings against Fawcett Publications. So in 1941, they sued both Fawcett and Republic Pictures wow. for copyright infringements, alleging that Captain Marvel was based on Superman. Now, after seven years of litigation, Blimey. the trial finally started in 1948. 
In the end, the presiding judge decided that Captain Marvel was an infringement, but DC were found to be negligent in copywriting several of their Superman daily newspaper strips, and it was decided that National had abandoned the Superman copyrights. So, as a result, the initial verdict, which delivered in 1951, that's how long it went on for, went in Fawcett's favour. It's crazy to think it went on this all that length of time. Yeah. And they were still publishing and still outselling everything else. And oh, yeah. By the time they got to 1951, National Stroke DC had pretty much wound up most of their superheroes by that point. Most comic publishers had. All the superhero titles had kind of like uh, declined in popularity. Yeah. But National Comics appealed this decision, and Judge Hand uh, declared in 1952 that National Superman copyright was in fact valid. And he didn't find the character of Captain Marvel itself was infringement, but rather specific stories or super feats could be infringements. And that would have to be determined in a retrial. So he sent it back to the lower court for determination. But instead of retrying the case, Fawcett decided to settle with National out of court, which is probably for the best, really. Right. The National lawsuit wasn't the only problem Fawcett had at the time. As I said, sales had massively declined in superhero titles across the board. Mm-hmm. And it was only selling at about half its rate that it sold during the war, uh, which again <laughs> would have been about five times yeah. got more than that. Uh, what the most popular titles are selling these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, Fawcett tried to revive the popularity of the Captain Marvel series in the early 50s by introducing elements of horror comics and other trends, but none of that really took off. So it was August the 14th, 1953, that Fawcett decided to permanently cease publications of comics with Captain Marvel-related characters, and they paid National Comics $400,000 in damages. That's quite a substantial fee. That's damages. crazy. That's insane. And they shut down the comics division in the autumn of 1953 and got rid of all its comic book staff, which is bad for them, but it meant that DC could scoop up such talents as Otto Binder and Kurt Schaffenberger. Yeah. Uh, And it meant, I suppose, that the perfectly good name of Captain Marvel, which is a great name for a superhero, was just sort of lying lying around not being used. Yep, that's true. And eventually that trademark lapsed. Right. Which brings us up to (laughs) the mid-60s. And in 1966, there was a publisher called Myron Fass, and he's quite a character. Right. Definitely quite a character. (laughs) He's well known as uh, an opportunist who would basically churn out schlocky knockoff versions of popular publications. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I like the sound of him, I can't lie. Yeah. It's like he would smell what was in the zeitgeist and do the cheapest knockoff version he could just to try and get the lowest common denominator and and rake in the cash. A bit like nowadays when you have the Asylum making their cash-in movies. Yes, like uh, Transmorphers and Snakes in a Train. Yeah, that sort of Princess thing. of Mars <laughs> instead of John Carter. Yeah, in some ways, actually, their John Carter of Mars movie was better than D- the Disney one. Wow, that's a tale for another time. A story for another podcast. <laughs> uh, yes. So, to give you an example of some of the things that he dived into, he did a series of crime magazines, including stuff like Homicide Detective, uh, The World of Sherlock Holmes, True Sex Crimes. He did a range of monster magazines, including Shock Tales and Thriller. He did loads of music. This is out throughout his history. He did lots of music magazines, including Acid Rock, Groupie Rock, Hard Rock, a bit of a theme there, uh, and stuff like that. In the 70s, he did some UFO-based magazines, okay. including ones such as Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind, <laughs> Space Trek, and Space Wars. Amazing. <laughs> That's the sort of thing my my mum would buy if she wasn't paying attention, thinking it would be good enough and it was close enough to what I actually was after. <laughs> he also uh, produced some adult magazines for gentlemen. All right. And what were they called? Including such titles as Bold, Brutes. 
Buccaneer, <laughs> companion, companion, flick, right? Jaguar, pick, and my personal favourite, poor boy. Poor, oh my goodness! It's like something off Blooming Anchorman or something, isn't it? <laughs> what kind of aftershave are you going to use today, Myron? Well, that I'd use Buccaneer. <laughs> He also was a bit of a firearms enthusiast and actually took to wearing a gun around the office. Oh my goodness, <laughs> right. And he had several firearm publications, including Shooting Bible, USA Guns, <laughs> uh, 0. 0.44 Mag. So many of these weird things that he published. Well, I mean, all, all power to him. If he's noticing a gap in the mm. market and or, or a demand for something, then good on him if he's got the mm -hmm. gumption you know to fill it and try and yep. cater to it and obviously superheroes were big business in the 60s but now weren't they yeah that's it so he smelt what was in the water and the batman tv series was bringing mm -hmm. it all back this high camp value to it marvel comics were finding their niche and getting popular with the slightly older market so he thought comics that's where the next big thing is so he launched his own captain marvel why captain marvel of course it was a popular title from the past that yep. the trademark had lapsed on and he thought, I'll have that, because basically, if um, you were in a store and it was a dad buying a comic for his kid, he'd say, oh, Captain Marvel, I read that when I was younger. Yep. And then get that for, for their kid. Yep, makes sense. His version of Captain Marvel was a bit different, but also the actual publication was quite different because they were all double-sized issues. They were all... Yes, they're very chunky, the comics. Uh, but they were also over twice the price. Most yeah. of the comics at the time were 12 cents, but all of mm -hmm. his were 25 cents. Mm -hmm which meant that it wasn't quite as desirable on the shelves as he was hoping for. Of course. I saw figures, I don't know how accurate they are, but the first print run of Captain Marvel 1 was something like a quarter of a million issues, but of that, only 100,000 sold. Right. And the rest were all kind of like returned and pulped. Interesting. It's worth pointing out at this point, when Myron launched his Captain Marvel comic, there hadn't actually been a comic called Captain Marvel at that point. There'd been obviously Captain Marvel Adventures, but it's mm -hmm. the first title to actually be called Captain Marvel. That's worth highlighting, I think. It certainly is. <laughs> but the actual MF Enterprises, the comic branch, it didn't last very long. It lasted for less than two years. Yeah. They also published an Archie-style teen humour sort of comic in a Western series, but that was it. The Archie-style comic is horrendous. You know, you could put the two of them next to each other and just go, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the similarity is very striking. You know, it's obvious he knew what he was doing. He was very canny, mm -hmm. I think, was Myron. He obviously, I think, yeah. on some levels, maybe he didn't have a lot of regard for his audience to be able to tell the difference, mm -hmm. but, you know. Yeah. In order to make his Captain Marvel, he approached an established comic creator, and that was Carl Burgos. And he's most famous for creating the original Human mm. Torch, who was a fair-haired android dressed yes. in red. Yeah, bear that in mind. Uh, <laughs> that's a bit of background. Yeah. Shall we do his first story? Yeah, we're going to do the, the first story from Captain Marvel issue one, which was published in February 1966, with a cover date of April 1966. As Pete said, the comics are quite chunky, sort of double the size of the normal and the comic ran for basically five issues of Captain Marvel and one issue of Captain Marvel presents the terrible five. So six comics published overall. Each comic had, you know, between three or four, sometimes more than that, separate little shorter stories. Right enough, when you say so for the, the price, they were very expensive. Yeah. You got a lot of bang for your buck. <laughs> I, I did, yes. Yeah, I've I've sort of been reading through all of these in preparation so that we can we can talk about them and um they are very enjoyable to a point. We're going to do the first story from issue one because that sets Cap up, introduces him, this new Captain Marvel. So take everything about Billy Batson and the Big Red Cheese and, and all of that and put it to one side, but maybe not too far to one side because you might notice a few similarities. Tell us about the cover of issue one then, Peter. It says, 
giant action issue. All new Captain Marvel. They're not lying. April 1966. This apparently is approved by the comic code. Authority. Fantastic. We're in an alien spaceship or laboratory and there's a boy strapped to a machine uh-huh. which has lightning which appears to be kind of alive coming out the machine to attack him. And there are some interesting alien chaps with bizarre facial hair in the background. And flying in to save the boy is our new Captain Marvel. He appears to be a man in a red kind of jumpsuit with some blue boots and he's got a big M on his chest in a circle. Yes. He's yes. got ginger hair. Uh, see, he appears to be from this cover. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, hold still, Billy. I'll save you. Splits. And as he says splits, his arm shoots off and also his hand shoots off his arm. He's literally splitting. Yes. And in the very bottom corner, in front of a machine, we have a little sign that says, plus a bonus feature, Plastic Man. Yes. And we see someone who appears to have kind of very uh, stretchy powers. Grabbing a poor man in a hat, too. To be, to be honest, mm. to me, just looks like he's been in his own business. Because um, this Plastic Sorry. Man that we meet eventually is not really a superhero. Mm. He's a baddie. Yes, you heard it right, listeners. Plastic Man. A complete appropriation of the Quality Comics character who made his first appearance in Police Comics, which was dated August 1941. We'll come back to Plastic Man, won't we, Peter? Yes, very soon. Very soon. For valid reasons. We'll talk about that as we go along. And of course, I don't know if you picked up, but uh, the boy on the cover's name is Billy. Yes. Another tie-in to the original Captain Marvel. Shall we jump into the story? I'd love to. Right, so our opening splash panel has a helpful caption which says, Introducing the all-new Captain Marvel. Um, It's quite an unusual sort of layout for the page. What we have at the foreground of the panel is the Captain Marvel who we've seen on the cover, but his head has sort of come off and he's holding it in the crook of his arm. And in the background, take up the sort of main area of the page, we see the ginger-haired fellow, who we now know to be Captain Marvel, sort of clutching his hands to his head and spinning around him are all the sort of separate elements of Captain Marvel, who we saw on the cover's body. So his torso is separated from his legs, from his boots, from his head, from his arms and his hands, and even his fingers, and they're all flying around him. And this ginger-haired chap looks very disorientated. There's a little sequence of three insert panels, and the first insert panel shows this ginger fellow looking at himself in the mirror, and he's saying, What am I doing here? Who am I? And the next panel shows him walking down a flight of stairs, still clutching his hand to his head, and he's saying, I can't seem to remember. What is this place? And he reaches the bottom of the stairs and he says, Anybody home? Just to the left of that panel, we have a a number of creator captions. And the first one says, Based on a character created by Carl Burgos, script by Roger Elwood, art by Franco, whoever that is. So, Mm -hmm. on to page two. And the ginger fellow, still unnamed at this point, is looking around. There's a big sort of wide room with a nice shiny floor, a chair, a couple of large pot plants. There's a window with some curtains to his left. And he says out loud, Odd, the house is empty, but it has a clinical look. It is a hospital. And then the next few panels are a sequence of flashbacks as he narrates what he starts to remember. And the first caption goes something like this. Hospital. Hospital. I seem to recall one somewhere else. People around me. They were talking about a great achievement. What was it? And this next panel shows the aforementioned ginger chap, who will get a name very shortly, stretched out with a sheet over his chest and a couple of scientist chaps. There's a baldy, thick-set guy looking at him with another guy with hair and a moustache. 
looks quite like um Prentice Hancock as he appeared in Space 1999, actually, if that's a <laughs> reference. He does. And in the background, there's some alien types with antenna on their head. I'm not sure at this point if they're robots or not. But anyway, the two scientists are looking at our amnesiac ginger hero, and the bald one says, In a moment, we will know. And the Prentice Hancock guy says, This will be a great day for science. And then we get a close-up of the bald scientist, and he says... All hope for the generations to come is tied up in him. There is no time for failure. Ah, he stirs. That is good. The caption for the next panel. I can't explain why, but I suddenly sat up. And the ginger chap on the table has sat up, the sheet has fallen down, and we can see that he's wearing the uniform that Captain Marvel on the cover is wearing. The bald scientist says to him, Success! It worked! Even to the puzzled expression on his face. Marvellous! And in the next panel, Prentice Hancock scientist guy says, That's it! We'll call him Captain Marvel, the human robot. And that's the last little panel to have the sort of shimmering effect indicated it's a flashback, because we cut back to Captain Marvel, as we now know him, still with his hands up to his head. And the caption for this panel says, It was a jolt to learn the truth. And he continues out loud, I'm a robot! Why did they create me? Why me? And how did I get to this house? Can't think, but there must be an answer. On to page three, and Captain Marvel beholds some shelves of books in front of him, and he says, Perhaps I'll find the answer in this room. The library room. Robot. Sounds way out to me. Next panel, he's reaching up to the books, and he says, That book, Astrophysics, by Marvel. It's too high. Can't reach it. Got to get it. Split! And then, rather unbelievably, in the next panel, his hand has flown off and taken the book off the shelf. And he says, My hand! It flew from my arm! It's grabbing the book! And then in the next panel, Captain Marvel says, Zam! My hand has rejoined my arm! Why did I say that? And indeed the book and his hand have zoomed back into his place and his hand has reconnected itself at the wrist. He looks at the book in close-up in the next panel and he says, Zam! Zam! Somehow I remember it's a signal to rejoin parts. Perhaps in that hospital. Yes. And the next panel has the same little shimmering flashback effect and Captain Marvel narrates and thinks, Yes, that's it. In that hospital, I was given a rigorous training and exercising coordination. And we see Captain Marvel with the bald scientist. The bald scientist has a clipboard and a pen and he's writing on it. And the scientist says, You're ready for phase one. Repeat the word. Split. And then in the next panel, Captain Marvel says, Split! Yo! I popped apart! And this is great because his head has flown off from his neck, his arms have flown off from his shoulders, and his legs have flown off from the hip, just leaving his torso floating. He looks slightly alarmed, but the scientist is delighted, and he says, Very good. Now the command for all parts to return is Zam! Say it! We move to the top of page four, and Captain Marvel in the first panel yells, Zam! It worked! And all the parts of his body fly back together again. And the scientist says from off-camera, Naturally. In time, you'll automatically control your actions. Now to exercise your fingers and hands. And in the next panel, shows the fingers all separating from one hand. As Cap says, Fingers off. Zam! They're back! And in the next panel, he says, Hands off! And indeed his hand flies off again at the wrist. And then the next panel is hilarious. <laughs> Cap says, Feet, run! This is fantastic! A pair of feet running by themselves. And this is great because it just shows his legs scudding along on their own. It's amazing. And then in the next panel, Zam! Ha! They came back. This is fun. And this again panel shows 
all of his body parts reconnected back together. Now, the next panel shows the scientist gesturing to the city in the background, which appears to be under domes, and he's saying, Now, Captain Marvel, send your head on a tour of our fair city. It may be the last time you do. And sure enough, in the next panel, we see Captain Marvel's disembodied head flying around over the domed city buildings. But Cap observes, Everything seems broken, like something terrible happened. And indeed, the domes over a lot of the buildings are cracked. They just look like the, the glass is broken somehow. The next panel shows Cap's head reconnecting with his body, and he's back with the mean, baldy scientist guy. And the scientist says, It did. We are the victims of war. That is why you were created. For the good of man. Because of war... Our planet will be destroyed, but we'll discuss that another time. Now, back to the exercises. And we reach page five, and Cap says, Why is it so important that I split? To make repairs on your body, and to prevent an attack from more than one person. And the next panel shows the scientist with three other scientists standing beside him. It looks like at a sort of dome, because a nice sort of spacey sky above them. Anyway, some equipment in the background. And the scientist says to Captain Marvel, For instance, we are four, and are about to attack when we do, all you do is split. Ready? Go! In the next panel, Cap shouts, Split! And his arms and his legs fly off and zoom towards the scientists. And the baldy scientist says, Stop! Stop! Enough! Oh! With a pow as he takes a left hook. And one of the other scientist guys says, Oof! As he appears to take one of Cap's legs. And in the next panel, Cap says, Zam! And all his body parts reconnect. And he continues, Sorry, I didn't mean to hurt anyone. And then over a couple of panels, the bald scientist says to Cap, Sorry? Nonsense. Your reaction was perfect. But remember, your source of energy must be rejuvenated each day, or else your powers will be useless. Cap says, And how is this accomplished? We move to the next page, and the scientist points at the M symbol on Captain Marvel's chest. And he says, The medallion on your chest contains a material we call X. Each day, you will rub your hand over it, and thereby retain the powers at maximum. Then we have a caption for the next panel, and it says, At that moment, the earth trembled at the crescendo of bombs that whipped the ground into a frenzy of atomic horror. And this next panel shows, with lots of booms and blams and barooms, mushroom clouds going off and some explosions, and it doesn't look good at all. We cut back to the scientist and Captain Marvel, and the scientist is handing Captain Marvel a pair of boots, saying, There is no time to explain. We're at war! Here, take these astro boots. They will enable you to fly through space. Hurry! And the next panel shows Cap putting on one of the boots. The scientist in the background continues to speak, saying, Leave this place. In you is preserved the knowledge of our people. Use it to help others. Goodbye and good luck. And then the caption for the next panel. In seconds I was airborne. And we see Cap flying off into space away from the surface of the planet. And then the caption for the next panel. Then from a thousand miles up, I watched the planet I was born upon disintegrate into a million pieces. And sure enough, with a massive big fiery red explosion, Captain Marvel's planet explodes. And Cap says as he flies away through space, Now I'll have to find a new home. And we're now back to the non-shimmery flashback panel. We see Cap sort of sitting down, sweat pouring from his brow, and he's saying out loud, A new home, yes. I remember now. The planet was destroyed and I floated in space. Seems like a nightmare. And he continues to say in the next panel, Only it isn't. The medallion is on my shirt. And he's opened his shirt at this point, and we can see he has the Captain Marvel uniform under the normal clothes that he was wearing. Cap then says in the next panel, But where am I now? What place is this? So many questions and so few answers. And the next panel shows him sitting with his head in his hands, and he says, I feel so weak, tired. The medallion must rub it for the energy. 
And then the caption for the next panel says, As Marvel's hand passes over the medallion, a surge of energy flows through his body. With a great burst of blue energy behind him, Cap suddenly seems a lot brighter, and he says, Ah, that's better. And the next panel shows him looking out his window, fastening up his shirt, and he says, Uh-oh, someone's coming. Looks like a young boy. Wonder who he is and what he wants. And indeed we see the young man outside, marching purposefully towards the house. And the next panel, the little boy's now inside the house, and he says, Hi. Golly, you sure got up early this morning, Cap replies. Uh, couldn't sleep. Is there something you want here? What? Say, you do look sort of funny. Have you forgotten your friend Billy from the USA? USA? Oh, uh, sure, Billy. Come in. Forgive me. It was a rough night. The next panel is a view from outside the house. We see them in silhouette. It's quite charming. Billy is saying, You sick or something? Almost like the day we met. You're tired and dazed, Cap replies. I'm okay, Billy. Just where did we meet? Right here in the United States of America. Hey, do you want me to get a doctor, Captain? Uh, no, Billy. A doctor won't be necessary. I'm just a little dizzy. Maybe I worked too hard last night. Gosh, you had me worried. Like the day you landed on Earth. Cap exclaims. Wait! I remember everything now. After my planet exploded, I became a space wanderer. Who knows how long until I spotted the planet Earth below and started to dive for it. And again we're back to shimmery panel flashback territory, showing Cap flying through space down towards Earth. And in his caption for the next panel... But on entering the Earth's atmosphere, the heat was intense. I experienced the same heat our astronauts did. It made me sort of weak. And this panel shows Cap descending, and there's definitely a bit of a heat haze around him. It's quite a striking panel, actually. And then the next panel, his narration continues... And that was when you, Billy, saw me drop from the sky... Fear of the unknown overtook you, and you started to run away. Now, it must be said, the perspective of this panel <laughs> makes it look like Billy is very, very small. <laughs> yes. And Cap is a giant who's landing and about to step on him. It's quite unfortunate, actually. Um, so we move to the top of page nine, and Cap's narration continues. I ordered my hand to stop you. At that point, you fainted. And Billy exclaims as he sees the hand flying around in front of him. Yipes! A hand flowing in mid-air! Ugh! Cap's narration for the next panel. Later you explained all you knew about the planet Earth and the people in it. Matter of fact, you even helped me get my first suit of clothes. This panel shows Billy in the cap. Cap is straightening his tie. Billy is saying, Yes, sir! Now you look like Mr. Average Citizen! You mean Mr. Marvel? We then cut to an external shot of the house and Cap's narration continues over, saying, After which, I landed a job as a writer for an important press service. Then I purchased this house. Right, Billy? Right, Captain. Say, what is this, Captain Marvel? Are you putting me on? My lad, never. All my questions have been answered. Billy's hair has turned to orange in this panel from the brown it has been previously. <laughs> and Billy's holding an envelope, which he's passing to the captain. And Billy says, maybe so. I found this telegram in your mailbox. It may be important. Cap takes the envelope and says, there's only one way to find out. That's to read it. And he opens the envelope, reads the letter, saying, It's from my boss. He wants me to cover an uprising on an island in the Caribbean. I'll help you pack, says Billy. And then we have a closing caption which says, So, dear readers, our hero begins a series of adventures that will bring you new thrills and excitement. Fasten your seatbelts and get ready for takeoff. The end. The end, indeed. That is your actual origin of your actual new Captain Marvel. It's not mentioned in the story, but the... Billy's surname 
is later established as Billy Baxton. Yes. Which obviously is very, very, very close to Billy Batson. Yeah. <laughs> Billy Baxton. Billy Batson. I mean, if you said them either of the other one quickly, you know, you could you could mm-hmm. easily confuse yourself. So Shall we discuss the origin of Captain Marvel then? Let's do it, because it's <laughs> it's absolutely insane. I mean, he's created by scientists on a planet that appears to be on the verge of, or in the middle of, a nuclear war. Yeah. We don't know why he's created. He's not saving any of them. He's then given a pair of jet boots and told to jet off of the... <laughs> Get off the planet and find another planet. I think he's been created because they know that their time has come, that they're not going to last much longer, and he's been created to go out into the universe and do good and hopefully prevent other civilizations from making the same mistake. It's obvious. It's crazy. It's like a lot of the stories. The bones are there, but it does feel a little bit underwritten mm-hmm. here and there. It's actually stealing a bit from Superman as well, you know, leaving yeah. an exploding doomed planet. Yeah. <laughs> it's It's absolutely bonkers. The, the way to rejuvenate himself to rub the logo on his chest? What? That sort of evolves. <laughs> it, it moves away later on from being what looks like the logo that's sort of printed or part of his uniform to actually becoming a mm. separate medallion. That becomes a plot point in one issue, but I'll talk about that right. in a moment, obviously. It's very economic, isn't it? Yes. I quite like the, the initial scenes of him waking up in the house, not knowing who he is, and then gradually starting to remember, and then mm-hmm. Billy coming along and filling in the rest of the gaps for him. Yeah. I've become quite fond of these stories <laughs> since cramming them and reading them the last couple of weeks in preparation. So I've, I've become slightly protective and a bit defensive towards them. <laughs> There's some really genuinely creepy stuff as well. See when his fingers come off and start flying out. That's that's hideous. That's horrible. Yeah, there's not too many examples of that. It's something you don't want to think about. Yeah. We should talk as well, obviously, about, like the other Captain Marvel, use of his powers does involve a magic word or two magic words. Uh-huh. The first time I ever heard about this version of Captain Marvel was this text page for issue three of the DC Comics series Secret Origins, which came out in 1986, mm-hmm. and we told the origin of the Shazam Captain Marvel, and the text piece for that, uh-huh. Roy Thomas, in, a, in one sort of brief paragraph, refers to the, the split Zam Captain Marvel, and it was a good few years before I actually found any of his comics. Roy didn't have a very high opinion. <laughs> No. Pretty sorry stuff, I think is the phrase he uses. <laughs> and even then, reading it, it was clear that how much of a, a rip-off this was, basically. Not just as he called Captain yes. Marvel, is involved with a kid called Billy, wears a red costume, but Split and Zam, it's not a million miles away from Shazam. It's very canny, very mm. calculated. I think it's clear they knew what they were doing. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> ripping off. But obviously that's not the only story in this issue, otherwise it'd be a very short issue. But as he said, yeah. David's been doing the deep dive on this series, so we're going to give you some summaries of the other stories that this Captain Marvel had adventures. So the second story in issue one is called The Invisible Aliens, and presumably carrying on from the, the instructions he got at the end of the first story, caps on an aeroplane in flight. During an electrical storm, it flies through like a... I think the quote from the comic is, a swirling whirlpool of rainbow colours... Put me in mind of like um, Lost in Space or Land of the Giants, you know, when the yeah, vessels huh. sort of get lost, yeah. Very Urban Allen, really. And Cap finds they're on another planet and he finds a stone tablet that tells him that the world was invaded by aliens from the fourth dimension. The aliens basically look like... Remember the adipose from Doctor Who? Yes. They're a bit like them. They're kind of almost like giant heads with little sort of hands and feet. Mm-hmm. And the aliens imprison the rest of the passengers to try and get Cap to repair their computer so that they can get home. So that's what that one's all about. The third story is called The Blue Men of Venus, and this is the story that introduces Plastic Man. The story says, starts off with Captain Marvel and Billy seeing a crashing meteor that actually 
when they get a bit closer, they find is a spaceship. The blue men of Venus are on Earth to warn Earth of the danger of atomic bombs. Very noble. Plastic Man is a prisoner on the alien spaceship, and he escapes, and in the closing panels, he disguises himself as a regular human being by stealing clothes from a tailor's dummy outside a shop. That's basically it for issue one. A nice little bit of mythology building. Yeah. Now that story with Plastic Man came to the attention of people at DC Comics, mm. and they weren't happy. So basically, things had to change very quickly. Tell me why DC weren't happy, Peter. Well, Plastic Man was originally a quality comics character. Yes. And I think the guys at MF Enterprises thought that they were up for grabs as well. Yeah. However, in 1956, uh, Quality Comics was sold to National Comics, which is DC Comics. Yeah. yeah. And of course, they got all their characters uh, mm-hmm. from that as well. That's when Blackhawk shifted over, wasn't it, from quality to DC? Yeah, Blackhawk's pretty much the only one they kept in publication regularly yeah. through, although they did bring some characters back later. Uh-huh. So yes, Plastic Man, and the name Plastic Man, was then technically a DC Comics character. Yeah. And I don't know if there's any communication. I can't find any communication between DC and MF in my research. However, his name was changed in MF Comics. We'll talk about that in issue two. Yes, we'll come back to that very quickly. Yes, but DC Comics quickly decided to reintroduce Plastic Man on the pages of House of Mystery in a Dial H for Heroes story, where Robbie Reed uses his H dial and became an established hero, Plastic Man. Yep. Uh, and that was actually his first Silver Age reappearance, even although it wasn't technically Plastic Man. Yeah. And obviously that was popular because Plastic Man got his own DC series shortly yeah. thereafter. So yeah. So we're kind of jumping ahead a little bit of ourselves there, folks. We like to mm. keep it ambiguous about what we've got coming up, but keep your ears peered for that. We'll be doing Robbie Reed Dial H for Hero very, very soon. Right, now that we've whetted your appetite with a little bit of hint of House of Mystery and Plastic Man, we're going to move on to issue two of MF Enterprises Captain Marvel. Um, Pete, say, tell us about the cover. The cover's reddish orange in background, and we have got... Captain Marvel, who is being attacked by several other characters. Yes. And Captain Marvel saying, I'll fight you all at the same time. Split! And, of course, his right arm fires off into a character who is calling himself Atom Jaw. His left arm is shooting up past another character who's called Tiny Man. Mm-hmm. His right leg is flying into the stomach of who looks like Plastic Man, but seems to be called Elastic Man. And it must be said, when we first meet Plastic Man in issue one, he has black hair, and the guy in this cover of issue two has very close-cropped, swept-back red hair. He looks very much like Jimmy Olsen, Superman's pal, in his guise as Elastic Lad. He does, yes. It really does. It's quite alarming. I mean, Jimmy Olsen first played Elastic Lad in issue 31 of Jimmy Olsen in September 1958, so that gives you an idea of that. Mm-hmm. So, yep, yeah, obviously that's the first edit. You know, Plastic Man has become Elastic Man. And then the final baddie, which is the one that prompted me to, to suggest all this to Peter in the first place. Peter, before we describe this fitting name, this final character. Yes. Dr. Fate, long-time Justice Society yes. member, DC superhero perennial. Yes. How would you describe him? What does he look like physically? Physically, he's wearing a blue costume, blue kind of like unitard leggings sort of thing, with obviously all the gold accoutrements. He's got yes. uh, gold gloves, gold belt, gold boots, and of course, gold cape and... His yes. golden helm of Naboo. Yes. Very dramatic. We're both big fans of Dr. Fate. He's, he's appeared a few times so far in the podcast. And this final character on the cover of issue two of Captain Marvel, he announces himself by saying, Fools! Only I, Dr. Fate, can control this human thingamajig. And this Dr. Fate... Peter, do you want to describe him for the listeners? Sure. <laughs> he's a late middle-aged man <laughs> uh, with... 
black hair on top, but lots of white hair, not grey, but actual white at yeah. the sides. He's got a thick white moustache. He's got a lovely uh, green scarf that he's got tucked into his brown V-neck sweater. <laughs> yeah. And he's yeah. operating some some cute equipment. He kind of looks the of exact opposite of what you think of the regular Doctor Fate looking like. Um, Absolutely. It, I when I first, I can't remember when I first experienced this guy. I think I probably took a notion at some point because I've, had, I've, I've got a few of these MF Enterprises Cat Marvel comics. I've had them for a very long time. I remember the first time I saw this being like, hang on, another Doctor Fate? What? He looks like Bruce Forsyth with a big, thick, white moustache. Yeah. If that means anything to our listeners. He looks more like the Chief out of the Doom Patrol than, than anything else. <laughs> if you were to compare him to any comic character. I mean, he's sat in a big green comfy chair on the cover operating his equipment. For all we know, it could be a wheelchair like the Chief. I mean, it ain't your mum and dad's Doctor Fate. Put it that way. So... <laughs> To crack on then with the stories from issue two. Issue two published April 66, dated June 66. First story is Captain Marvel takes a trip in time, part one, the past. This story starts off, Cap's built a time machine. It looks very like the one operated by Rod Taylor in the famous Time Machine movie. And to keep it as briefly as possible, Cap travels back to 1849 and he encounters Elastic Man, the renamed Plastic Man, and a character called Tiny Man, who's very much like the Atom. He spends most of his time very small, but can, can increase his size to sort of normality. In a way, he's almost like the Atom in reverse. Now, we should point out at this point that shrinking superheroes, the most famous ones that we're really going to deal with on the, the podcast, um, was Ray Palmer's Atom, was first introduced in issue 34 of the DC Comics title Showcase, July dated October 1961. But before that, Doll Man who's a quality comics character who we will see quite a lot of in the future on the podcast. Mm-hmm. He appeared in, first appeared in issue 27 of Feature Comics, um, and that was published at the tail end of 1939. Because it's always been pointed out that you know Ray Palmer was essentially a cross between Al Pratt's name and Dollman's powers. Yes. So, Cap's back in 1849. It's the height of the gold rush. He meets Elastic Man and Tiny Man, and Elastic Man has disguised himself as a miner um, just to try and steal lots of gold and lots of money, basically. Part two... Mm-hmm. Cap travels to the future and finds that um, mankind has been suppressed by machinery. The machines have basically taken over. Cap is able to sort of overwhelm the machines, but he finds that mankind has basically degenerated into savagery. Quite a downbeat ending because it's as Cap back in the present day, sort of watching adverts on television and sort of thinking, is there any hope for people in the future? It was quite struck mm, by it. Interesting. The next story is probably my favourite in this one. Peter, do you remember the episode of Quantum Leap? called Double Identity, very early one, where Sam leaps into the sort of mafia hitman guy. I've seen all of Quantum Leap, but I can't remember that one specifically. It turns out he's sort of one of the reasons he's there is to, to help cause the big power cut that affected the, the Eastern Seaboard of America in 1965. And it turns out from this story in issue two of Captain Marvel, it's called Who Put Out the Lights? It was caused by Dr. Fate. Gosh. So there we go. Gosh. <laughs> I'm going to try and find a, a, an example of Dr. Fate's dialogue to dazzle you with. Hang on. We'll begin again, Captain. This time I'll make it easier for you. I'll ask the questions and the computer will absorb the answers. You won't have to speak. You've met your master. So that's quite exciting. I like this one. Hang on. In seconds you will be destroyed along with all the equipment. I'm keeping your boots as a souvenir. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Fate. That's great. As soon as lockdown lifts and I can get onto a computer, I'm going to Photoshop as many images of the two Dr. Fates together as I possibly can and get them onto the internet just to confuse all the search engines. So the final story in issue two is called Captain Marvel Meets Atom Jaw. And this is quite interesting because the character of Tiny Man and the character of Atom Jaw, they have really quite defined arcs through all these comics. They, you know, there's a real bit of character development progress for each of them. Mm-hmm. In this story, Atom Jaw is described with a caption which says, um, embittered by an atomic mishap that left half his face 
with a metal jaw. He ends up looking like Iron Jaw, published by Atlas Comics in the seventies, briefly, but not not really styled like a barbarian. I mean, he, the interesting thing about a lot of Captain Marvel's uh-huh. baddies, there's no real outlandish costumes. Mm-hmm. They're all dressed very ordinarily, <laughs> almost in street clothes a lot of mm-hmm. the time. The vast majority of slacks and polonex seems to be, you know, the <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's the yeah. It's, it's the uniform. And this story basically, Cap is working with the UN um, because Atom Jaw is trying to harm the US's reputation by sinking supply ships, and he's also stealing radioactive isotopes because he's a bad egg. Before we move on to the next issue, uh, I just want to say in this one, Elastic Man. Obviously, has been renamed Elastic Man from his Plastic Man appearance in the first issue. However, when you look at the actual mm-hmm. lettering, you can see this must mm-hmm. have been a very last-minute change because Absolutely. it's basically one letter that's been changed to make Plastic Man Elastic Man, and sometimes it's very, very obvious yeah. that it's actually been changed in the letters. I'll post an example or two of this. Yeah, we'll put the most obvious sort of panels up showing that. It's, um, you can almost smell the correction fluid, can't you? <laughs> and it looks like someone who's not a letterer has done the actual corrections because <laughs> the, the E, the yes. E's are particularly bad. Yeah. <laughs> They're like smaller than the <laughs> the other letters. It's very very noticeable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The next comic we're talking about was actually published between issues two and three of the regular Captain Marvel series, and it's called Captain Marvel Presents the Terrible Five, issue one. Basically, now this came out in June '66 with a date of August 1966. And there's been some real development for Captain Marvel since the last one. He now has a, a new secret identity. He's now he's now going under the name of Professor Roger Winkle. And okay. he works at Dartmoor University. Variously, it's Dartmoor University. Variously, it's Dartmoor College. But this becomes sort of the backdrop for a few of the stories and subsequent issues, including some of the main ones in this one. The cover, it's very similar in a way to the cover of issue two because Cap's being menaced by the baddies. And the cover of this one, he's sort of chained to a board, kind of held down by clamps. He's very blonde in this mm-hmm. one as well, it must be said. And he's now wearing a little yeah. domino eye mask. And he's basically being hassled by Dr. Fate... But Elastic Man, who bears on the covers, looks nothing like what he does in the stories. <laughs> Atom Jaw is there again, and so is Tiny Man. Tiny Man's pulling back a catapult. And there's another guy who on the cover is referred to as Dr. Doom. Gosh. <laughs> I mean, it's it's shameless, isn't it? You can hear the lo- the lawyer's pencils being sharpened. You know, it's um, <laughs> it's it's crazy. Um, Doctor Fate isn't the cover of this one. Now wears a red jumper and green trousers and a blue scarf. Atom Jaws now wearing a green jumper. Um, Elastic Man's still in a blue unitard. Again, looking so much like Elastic Lad, Jimmy Olsen's character. And they're obviously in some kind of laboratory setup. And Doctor Doom just basically seems to be wearing a big collared red shirt and some brown trousers. It says it's a plastic spray. He's fine, but it, it reminded me very much of what he gets up to during the story. So without beating about the bush any further, the first story in this one-off comic is called Captain Marvel Presents Professor Doom and His Organisation, Bird. Bird being an acronym standing for the Bureau of International Revolutionary Devices. So that's quite exciting. Bird want to conquer Earth, basically, Peter. Can you believe it? It's shocking. Absolutely shocking. There's nothing to see there. Yeah, and this story, it kind of almost operates in a way like a kind of soft reboot. It's very interesting it was published as a separate comic. It almost feels like it could be a separate continuity. It's interesting. Cap is giving a lecture at the university, and Professor Doom... It's not really made clear if he works at the university himself. Has created an odourless brainwashing gas, obviously for his masters mm-hmm. at Bird. So this issue is a very helpful scene where Cap reminds Billy and potentially introduces the audience to his powers and abilities. There's a helpful caption which addresses the change in the setup and the status quo. 
Roger Winkle ambles home to the only person he can confide in, his ward and admirer, 15-year-old Billy Baxton, who's just completed his homework. So that might be the first time that Billy Baxton gets a surname. Yeah. This story, basically, Cap has a bit of a thing for Linda, who is the daughter of President Knowles. Now, it's not clear if President Knowles is the president of the university or the president of the United States. It's a bit <laughs> foggy. But Linda basically has Prof Doom and Captain Marvel both after her. Doom sprays Linda with a gas, takes her to board HQ. Cap follows them and rescues her. And that's where Doom gets revealed to them as a bird agent. Um, it's got some quite funny scenes with the head of birds sort of losing the rag at what's going on. The second story is Captain Marvel, The Return of Atom Jaw, obviously picking up from issue two. Mm-hmm. Atom Jaw escapes from the set, the prison cell he was on in the Coast Guard Cutter vessel. You get a bit more detail about his earlier sort of motivation. And apparently <laughs> there's a caption that emphasises that the earlier story he featured in took place on February the 14th <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> so maybe maybe this Valentine's Day, listeners, you and your special someone could reenact Captain Marvel's first battle with Atom Jaw. <laughs> it's quite an interesting story. The way it plays out, Cap tracks down the surgeon who operated on Atom Jaw. Okay. And it turns out that Atom Joe's real name is Mr. Preston. No relation to, I'm presuming, to Bill S. Preston, yeah. Surgeon's called Dr. Gerald Safion. It's all very interesting. You get a nice little bit of detail. And Preston stroke Atom Joe's made very sympathetic. Obviously kind of setting up the development. Okay. This story has a very entertaining sequence where Atom Joe basically goes berserk on land and starts you know, eating through cars and through buildings and stuff. Cat manages to get through to him, though, when he calms down. Is he digesting what he's eating? Or is he... That's, I mean, that's what one thing I was going to say, because it's not made very clear. You get okay. the impression he has this metal mouth now replacing his, his own. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing to say whether or not he now has the ability to digest anything. It's, you're reminded, obviously, of Matter Eater Lad sure. from the Legion of Superheroes, obviously. Huh. And his first appearance, you know, eats a ray gun and chews through prison bars and stuff. Yeah. There's a great panel of Atom Jaw sort of eating through a car, but you, you almost get the sense that he's just sort of clearing the way. Right. Is he sort of chewing and then spitting it aside? You, it, to be honest, it doesn't tell you. <laughs> oh, well. It doesn't tell you if he's eating and digesting all this stuff or just chewing it up to get it out of the way. But basically, Cap gets through to him and calms him down. But in the process, Cap's hand doesn't return. <gasps> oh, no. And this story ends with the revelation that Dr. Fate has been observing and he has the hand. Of course. The Hand of Fate. The next story then is called Dr. Fate and the Missing Hand. And if that doesn't set your associative GSA buttons tingling, <laughs> I don't know what will. Dr. Fate breaks Atom Jaw out of prison. And it must be said, Dr. Fate's moustache is much, much thicker in this story than it was previously. <laughs> He's obviously been maintaining it and caring for it in lockdown. He gets Atom Jaw in on his plan. He wants to try and steal some equipment from, from Dartmoor. And also in the process of this story, Dr. Fate notices Roger Winkle's resemblance to Captain Marvel. It's very ah, interesting. It kind of plays okay. quite an important part in the story. Dr. Fate's plan is basically to sort of raid a building where used and withdrawn banknotes are stored. Okay. Because they obviously they won't be traced. Mm-hmm. So they do this, they go in and they break in, steal lots of cash, and they leave Captain Marvel's hand behind to try and implicate him. Atom Jaw is a touch of conscience, decides to turn himself in. Right. Dr. Fate turns him out and then goes to the police to try and tip them off so he can dob Captain Marvel in on it. At the college, Roger is he's trying to make himself a new hand. But he's not able to do okay. so. So he just puts a kind of hand-shaped bandage on to try and distract from the fact that his hand <laughs> is missing. Cap gets his hand back, though, because the police have it lying on a table and Cap manages to summon it and it flies out the window. So there's a great scene at the end where Dr. Fate, who has been caught by the police, tries to say that Professor Winkle is Captain Marvel, but, of course, he takes the bandage off to show his hand underneath it. It's, it's quite funny. Sure. Atom Jaw rocks up and, and turns himself in and 
It's not quite a happy ending, but it, it's quite satisfying. The next story, again, gives us a bit more character development. It's really, really interesting. I mean, there's a disposable quality to these stories. It must be said that sometimes yeah. the narrative leaps are astonishing, and you sort of think some stuff doesn't really follow through very well from, uh-huh. from what else is going on, and they almost feel like they've been written by a five-year-old. No offence to any five-year-olds that are listening. But then they do take time with stuff like uh, giving backstory to certain characters and things that you wouldn't expect. Yeah. So it's really, it's, I don't want to say the word cutes, Inconsistent in a way. Yeah, I mean the cartoony style of all these stories as well is yeah. it's very light. It's very kind of almost Archie-like. Mm. It's obviously designed for like a younger readers in general, as you were saying. Yeah, yeah, I would say that's fair, and it's it's interesting because I always sort of say no one sets out to do a bad job of anything, and I think no, not at all. There's a lot of care been taken with a lot. You know, you can tell that they were trying their best because, as I say, that the character development overall for Tiny Man and Atom Jaw especially is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. The next story is called Elastic Man and Tiny Man. And this story features Elastic Man and Tiny Man watching the news. They see this, the news story about Dr. Fate being caught. Elastic Man himself then notices the resemblance between Roger and Captain Marvel and determines to try and find out if they're the same person. Tiny Man and Elastic Man have a row. Tiny Man decides to go off on his own. This is brilliant. This, this sequence is ridiculous. Elastic Man basically visits Dr. Fate in prison. It turns out they know each other. They fought together before, etc., which is quite interesting. Of course. They talk about the suspicions that Roger might be Captain Marvel. And then Elastic Man breaks Dr. Fate out of prison and they hatch a plan to try and expose Captain Marvel. It's a great panel that shows Elastic Man sort of in a very Mr. Fantastic type style, mm-hmm. coiling his, his arm around Dr. Fate and lowering him to the ground from the third floor prison cell. Excellent. They come up with a scheme. They've got a little brainwave machine which will cause short-term amnesia on whoever they target it at, and they obviously they're, they're planning to target um, Roger. And the really funny thing is, the whole time they've been having this conversation, <laughs> Atom Jaws in the next prison cell and hears everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like they broke out of jail first and then came up with a scheme that, you know, you'd think as well yeah. that Elastic Man would have said, shh! Atom Jaws in the next cell. He might hear us. So the next story in this epic is called Elastic Man Becomes James Good. And basically, Elastic Man disguises himself as a student and enrolls at Dartmoor University. And the little mind control gizmo that, that I mentioned that doesn't actually work when he tries mm-hmm. it. Okay. Linda, who we met in the first story, arrives with a poster for what's called the Jim Jamboree, which is basically a sort of fundraiser for the, the university's foreign student programme. And James offers to take part. Now, Elastic Man obviously must be a bit of a thickle because he he goes on in his tryouts for the Jim Jamboree to break the world records for <laughs> for the high jump, the short putt, and the the one mile sprint. <laughs> wow, which is hilarious, wow. um, and this obviously raises Roger's suspicions. Um, he decides to compete against James as Captain Marvel. Okay, they sort of come together in the wrestling ring. Elastic Man tries to escape, but Cap catches him and knocks him out. Atom Jaw arrives. Tells Cap what the plan was, and Doctor Fate conveniently gets found on the, the university grounds, and he gets arrested. Mm-hmm. So that's you know a bit more of Atom Jaw's redemption, and Doctor Fate and Elastic Man have been caught again. Yeah, that's the end of Captain Marvel presents the Terrible Five. Anything to add before I move on to the next one? No, I just love how they're basically creating a rogues gallery for Captain Marvel. Yeah, but all the characters seem to be sort of familiar. If you know what I mean, they yeah. all seem to be like familiar types or tropes or. Mm-hmm. homages to existing characters but everything basically seems really yeah. familiar homages to existing characters you are not going to believe who turns up in the next issue <laughs> issue 3 published July 66 dated September 66 this one is packed this was the first one I got I think I got this one from Pete Root before he moved up to FP from ACA in 95 which means I've had this comic for nearly 30 years Pete say please 
Tell the listeners about the cover to issue three. This is a giant action issue, it says. Captain Marvel mm. fights the bat. Yep. And we see Captain Marvel above a city, mm-hmm. and he's seeing Split and throwing a right hook at yep. uh, this character called the bat. And the bat looks quite familiar. Mm. He's a guy in mostly grey with blue bits of his costume. Yes. With a dark winged cape with two pointy ears yes. and a cowl. It seems very familiar with blue gloves, blue trunks, blue boots. Yeah, yes. Yes, it's all grey. He's got a blue bit at the front. Basically, this is... It's almost like the original look of Batman. Yes. <laughs> He's also very similar to the vampire character Baron Blood. Yes, very much so. I first experienced in The Invaders, mm-hmm. the Marvel comic that retconned a World War II superhero team, which we will touch on briefly in the podcast at some point in the future. He's very, very much like Baron Blood. The only thing that makes him look kind of different is his, his belt. Uh, it's got like green diamonds on it. Yeah. His eyes are like two red hypnodiscs. And he also has two antenna as well coming out his forehead. As well as his two giant pointed ears. Yeah, it's almost like they looked at a drawing of Batman and went, how can we make him subtly different? <laughs> <laughs> there is a development on, on this. Obviously, he's not subtly different enough. So the first story is called... Captain Marvel versus the Bat, and we meet the Bat, who's apparently had already fought Captain Marvel in 1960. Obviously, they're sort of retconning and suggesting that the events of issue one must have taken place some time ago, and Billy must be of indeterminate age and never ages or whatever. Maybe. Unless he was still playing around with that time machine. That's true. That's the thought. I hadn't thought that. <laughs> yeah, he travelled back to 1960, and that's when they fought. Anyway, this is where the, the next sort of change in the character takes place. Now, previously, to recharge himself, Cap had to rub the M symbol in his chest. This has now evolved so that he wears a medallion round his neck on a chain which has the M and this is where he gets his power. So the bat kidnaps Billy and hypnotising him into stealing the medallion which renders him powerless. Obviously Cap gets it back and the bat gets arrested after a big fight. Quite good. Now the next story is called Captain Marvel and the Mr. Brilliant Incident. Mr. Brilliant? Yeah, when I made Peter aware of this the other night we both laughed an awful lot because... You know, we're both big fans of the, the DC superhero Mr. Terrific. Yes, we are. Both of them, yeah. And we're both big fans of the stretchable Reed Richards from the Fantastic Four, a.k.a. Mr. Fantastic. Indeed, yes. And now there's another one. that We have Mr. Brilliant. And Mr. Brilliant, listeners, basically looks like Dan DiDio, who used to work for DC Comics. <laughs> He's a bald, slightly overweight, middle-aged man. And true to the majority of the MF Enterprises supervillains who we've seen so far... He just wears brown trousers and a white shirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bit of a goatee going on as well. Yeah, it's so unremarkable as to be remarkable. It's a very, very, <laughs> you know, it's very neat moustache, very neat goatee. And this is a weird story. It's very uneven. It starts off Cap sort of observing, or Roger observing, some firemen dealing with a blaze. And you kind of get the sense, has this blaze been set to cause a distraction? But then it doesn't really tie up to the main plot where Mr. Brilliant is trying to cheat the stock exchange by interfering with one of their computers. He's a guy who helps him, who sets off the fire, but it's not very clear how it all ties up. That's what I mean about suddenly feeling that the stories are written by five-year-olds because there's not a lot of coherence. Needless to say, Cap sort of stops him. The next story is called Captain Marvel and the Vapor Man. The Vapor Man is an alien from Vapora. Cap gets called on by his former student Chuck to kind of come along and help. Vapor Man separates Cap up into his component parts, throws them all in jars, but then Cap manages to get one of his hands loose and get this, listeners, Vaporman gets defeated because Cap was able to trigger the ventilation switch on Vaporman's spaceship. Gosh. <laughs> oh, poor Vaporman. I'm going to find the panel and give you Vaporman's dialogue as this bit of indignity is heaped upon him. What? No! No ventilation! I'm not wearing my air turbulence protector! 
mate, we've all been there. Basically, Vapor Man looks like a cloud. He's a bit of a knockoff from The Mist, mm-hmm. the Starman villain who we've met recently on the podcast and who will turn up again eventually. This story, more than any of the other ones that we've done, reads like a kind of Jack Kirby 50s monster or early 60s right. Marvel monster story. Sure. It's really quite... It has that real looking sort of feel. Vaporman's the name that I was familiar with, but it was from the old Galaxy right. Trio cartoon, if you remember that. Of course. He was one of the Galaxy Trio. That came out initially in 1967, so that had actually been after that issue of Captain Marvel. Yeah, which brings me to a very good point, actually. When Pete and I were having our sort of conversations prior to recording and doing our preparation, I expressed to Pete the feeling that I had reading these comics was, whilst they were enjoyable, they weren't quite the real deal. I mean, we used to get the Galaxy Trio shown in segments on a, a local kids' television programme in Scotland called Glenn Michael's Cartoon Cavalcade. And Glenn Michael was a sort of a vuncular figure who had a talking lamp and a couple of dogs, and he would show American cartoons. And yeah. I remember watching Galaxy Trio and enjoying it immensely, but wishing mm-hmm. that it could be Green Lantern or The Hulk or Flash or Spider-Man or a proper yeah. superhero. And that's kind of the feeling that you get reading these comics. It's good, but it's not the real thing. Vapor Man was the big, sort of muscly, the really big guy, wasn't he? No, he's the gas wonders. Meteor Man is the one you're thinking of. That's who I'm thinking of, right. I'm picturing, right, I'm picturing Meteor Man, right, that's fine. Meteor Man, it was actually Ted Cassidy, Lurch, who did the voice for Meteor Man. Oh, right. And Ted Cassidy, who also did the introduction for the Incredible Hulk TV series. Of course, of course he did. Dr. David Banner, that's him. Gravity Girl was the third one, rounding out the trio. Interesting. If we get bored, we'll maybe put an image of the galaxy tree up on the socials. (laughs) The next story in issue three is called Captain Marvel and Doctor Darkness. Doctor Darkness basically looks like Doctor Mindbender from the G.I. Joe cartoon and comics. Ah. The vast majority of the story takes place underwater and Doctor Darkness basically dies at the end when Captain Marvel tries to bring him up to the surface to face his crime because he's been underwater so long. Gosh. Sunlight sort of wipes him out. It's quite abrupt. It was interesting. This is quite a dark issue with Vapor Man and Doctor That's that's yeah, yeah huh? Not ending well for these characters. And Vapor Man, the ventilation switch, it doesn't kill him and disperse him, it just enables them to sort of funnel him into a glass jar and put the lid on it. Fair enough. Okay. Okay. okay I should have made that clear. <laughs> the final story in this issue is Captain Marvel and Colonel Cold. Not Captain Cold, but Colonel Cold. Captain Cold, the, the Flash villain, who we've met a couple of times on the podcast. Pete, when did he first appear? It was an issue of Showcase, wasn't it? Yep, Showcase issue 8. It was, uh, that there was his first appearance. He was the first of the regular rogues to make an appearance. Awesome. And I'm perpetually practising my Wentworth Miller voice for any occasions where he turns up again in the podcast. Yes, sadly you are, yes. <laughs> sadly I am. So Captain Marvel versus Colonel Cold. Colonel Cold basically looks like... Remember how at the end of Star Trek Three, when they've searched for Spock and found him and he gets reborn and his hair's kind of grown out a bit, you know, he's yes. looking a bit sort of hippie-ish. Uh-huh. Colonel Cold basically looks like that version of Mr. Spock. Gosh. But in a comfortable jacket and a nice comfortable scarf and a nice comfortable jumper. <laughs> they do like their comfortable streetwear. Well, that's highly logical, so... I'm going to try and create a gallery of all of the, the, the main Captain Marvel baddies to put them in the socials so that the listeners can check them out. He's fascinating. Colonel Cold, basically, very topically, he doesn't deal with temperature as such. No? But he works with viruses. Ah, okay. Needless to say, Cap defeats him. He has a bit of a plan involving putting his viruses into the ink and pens. So if you use the pen, you'll catch the virus. Cat manages to stop him. So that's it for issue three. There's one thing I want to mention of issue three as well, is that there is an advert in it for the Batman and Robin fan club. It's quite ironic, isn't it? Yeah. It's obviously the Batman and Robin TV show that they've created a fan club for. Yeah. I don't know who's created it. But yeah, basically contact Masked Heroes, 1800 North Highland Avenue, Hollywood, California. 
I enclose a dollar. Please rush yeah. everything mentioned above. That includes easy to follow step by step instructions of how to do the Batusi. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you don't need those instructions. Pete did those moves at his wedding. I saw it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you also get a wallet sized membership card with an actual photo of Batman and Robin on it. So the glossy photos of Batman and Robin together and alone says. Sinister. All right. Taken behind the scenes of TV action, and members also receive Batmogram news, which tells them of the latest doings of the duo, and also an action shot of the Batmobile. For a dollar, that's an absolute bargain. For a dollar, yes. That's quite exciting. Wow. So, on to issue four, and this is this is an epic. This is really the most coherent, in many ways the most satisfying of them all. It, basically, the whole issue, issue four, published September 66, dated November 66, it's about the redemption and the reformation of Tiny Man. Okay. So, chapter one, the bat is back, but he's now called the Ray. David. Yes, Pete. Would you like to tell us about the cover of issue four? Yeah, that's a good idea, actually. As I said, the bat is back and he's now called the Ray. Now, essentially, the costume is unchanged, except the little diamonds on his belt are now coloured yellow instead of green. And the, what was a blue stripe and blue trunks is now a sort of magenta colour. Ah, okay. The ears in a slightly different position than his mask. He still has the hypno eyes, still has the antenna. His gloves and boots are now black, but most significantly, he has a sort of little yellow lightning flash on his chest. Okay. And now this obviously has happened because the bat, as he first appeared, was probably a bit too close <laughs> to Mr. Wayne. Yes, uh -huh. it's another plastic man situation. Yeah, the thing is they've now renamed him the Ray, and there is precedent as well because there was an. We talked about Doll Man and Plastic Man. There was another quality comics character called the Ray, Ray of Light, essentially, and he will be talking about him much, much more in the podcast in the future. And the quality comics version of the Ray first appeared in issue fourteen of Smash Comics, published July, dated September nineteen forty. Now, again, he wasn't being published by DC Stroke National at this point, but again, it's another little, <laughs> it's another rip off. When we've had Plastic Man and we've had Doctor Fate, we've now got the Ray. So I'd love to draw an image of the three DC versions of Plastic Man and Doctor Fate and the Ray all squaring up against the other guys and sort of saying what. The and Doctor Doom as well, although they've changed it to Professor Doom inside the comic. They didn't even change that beyond the cover. <laughs> and it shows, I suppose, how maybe ad hoc it all was if he's Doctor Doom in the cover and Professor Doom maybe but maybe the cover was prepared first and they thought well hang on we're going to get into trouble here so anyway yeah into issue four and I'll rattle through it the bat is now the ray slight change to his costume as I've described the first story I must point out has a little poster advertising a character called Tarzak indicating that his comic will probably be starting soon he basically looks like Namor the Submariner with fins on his head and a purple jumpsuit okay Tarzak will return Tiny Man, as this story, as this issue begins, now works in a circus. Inspired by the presence of Captain Marvel, he stops some bad guys who are trying to steal the circus takings. Because as we saw already, you know, when he did fall out with Elastic Man, he was kind of having doubts about the whole thing. Chapter 2, Tiny Man goes to college, takes the name Jack Baker. We get some flashbacks to his earlier fights with Cap. And this story finishes with, with Cap and Tiny Man dealing with some cowboy builders. It's a quite exciting scene where... Some where a building on the, the college campus collapses because it's been made very badly. By chapter three, Tiny Man has graduated and he's now the assistant district attorney. Of course. It's basically stories about diamond thieves called the Triangle Gang. The Ray gets involved in a story and kidnaps Tiny Man. I think the real story is about the career progression that's taking part in that story. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's it. I mean, it's you do, you're not given dates. <laughs> I mean, it's obviously very compressed. This could be taking place over years. Uh -huh. We're not actually really told. It's, it's quite weird. But again, it's something satisfying about it because... The baddie to superhero thing that I always think about was Marvel's version of Sandman. Right. You know, in that early 80s where he kind of reformed himself a little bit. Yeah. They had that great Marvel 2-in-1 issue where they yeah. had basically just them talking in the bar. Yeah, they had a beer and a blather. Which is great. And of course, Magneto 
reformed and, and back and forth. And the, the aforementioned Submariner was very, you know, ambiguous a lot of the time. But chapter three of issue four finishes with the Ray kidnapping Tiny Man. And the last chapter in the issue um, is about the Ray. Tiny Man defeats him, basically, and gets promoted to full district attorney because the previous district attorney is on his way to becoming mayor. <laughs> It's almost in a way like, you know, the episode of Star Trek when they, they have Gary Seven mm-hmm. as the guest star. It's almost like this issue is a backdoor pilot to set up Tiny Man yeah. for his own comic. Yeah, so it was, it was quite enjoyable, actually. It was really, really... By the time I read this one, I was completely into it. I was forgiven them for everything. Yeah. I would have been quite happy to read hundreds more comics with these characters and to turn the entire podcast over charting their adventures. But sadly, <laughs> that's not the case. So the final one to talk about is issue five, which is a slightly confusing name also of Captain Marvel Presents the Terrible Five, published in July 1967. So that's 10 months after issue four, with a date of September 67. Pete, do you want to tell us about the cover to this one? This is very dramatic, this cover. You have Captain Marvel strapped to a missile that's flying through the air. Not only is it a missile, it's also got a big time bomb part of the missile. Mm. If it's not going to blow up when it hits something, it's going to blow up in any way. And Captain Marvel saying, Split! Gulp! It doesn't work! I'm doomed! Oh no! Coming in on the right, we have the ray who looks actually quite green in this cover. Right. And the ray saying, That's because I have your magic amulets. Now, Captain, listen to the ticker. It has activated the bomb. But they're not the only characters appearing in this issue because we have three panels on the left-hand side. The first one introduces a character called the Destroyer who says, I have Mm. only one mission, to destroy Captain Marvel. Bit obvious. The second one, remember Stop That Pigeon with Dick Dastardly? Yes. This is the character called Big Max who looks literally just like Dick Dastardly from Stop That Pigeon saying... Big Mac says, I'll finish him, but good. Big Max, yeah. And in the bottom left corner, we have the aforementioned Tarzak. He looks slightly different in the cover to issue five mm. than he did when he appeared on the advertising poster. But he's a bit more fleshy coloured all in, isn't he? Yeah. And they've gone for a more Aquaman style with him, really, because he's riding yeah. his giant seahorse. Yeah. And Tarzak's saying, Anyone who invades my ocean is my enemy. I'm just guessing that's what he sounds like underwater. That's, I'm sure that's exactly what he sounds like. Mm-hmm. So I'll quickly take you through this one as well. The first story is called Captain Marvel Meets the Destroyer. Now, again, the Destroyer is another name with a bit of history because Marvel had a superhero in the Golden Age called the Destroyer. He appeared in issue six of Mystic Comics when it sailed July, dated October of 1941. So they're at it again. And this is, believe me, this is not the end of it. And also they had the, the Thor foe, the Destroyer, who we also saw in uh, the Thor movies as well. Oh, that's right. The big suit of armour guy. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Mm-hmm. Had he appeared by this point? I guess he must have done. Yeah, the Thor Baddy the Destroyer had already appeared. He first appeared in Johnny into Mystery right. issue 118, which was July 65, so it was a year before. Right. Well, actually, over a year before this one. So it was about two years, in fact, yeah. Good grief. Yeah. And obviously seen from in the Thor movies as well. Or the, the first Thor movie, I should say. Mm-hmm. So the, the plot for this one, basically, Cap has a new serum that he's working on to try and help eliminate world hunger, and he takes a bit of a funny turn. Then the Destroyer turns up, and it turns out he's from Cap's home planet as well. Oh no. And he was, in fact, created by the Volcano tribes, right? Okay. And in my, my notes here I've written again, this really feels like it was written by a five-year-old. The Destroyer tries to destroy Earth by setting fire to the atmosphere. Okay. Cap stops him, obviously, and it turns out that the reason Cap was taking a funny turn wasn't the serum. He was reacting to the presence of the Destroyer. Chapter two in this one, Captain Marvel and the volcano people mm-hmm. the destroyer finds his own world has been destroyed 
presumably he wasn't on the planet when it blew up in issue one. Yeah. So he takes refuge in a volcano on Earth and he meets and joins forces with the volcano people who live in there. The king of whom looks very much like He-Man's dad in Masters of the Universe. <laughs> so he does. The volcano people are planning a war with the surface people, but ultimately Cap ends up helping them. And so there's a bit of a happy ending to that one. I do like the look of the Destroyer because he's got those eyes that Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko used to do where they actually, the eyes seem to come out. Yes. But, you know, a bit like, remember Machine Man, how his eyes would look as if they were like bulging out. Yes, telescopic, yeah. Fiery, fiery energy coming out of these, they're great. He looks very Kirby Ditko indeed, doesn't he? He yeah. really does have those sort of stylings about him. So the next story, Captain Marvel meets Tarzak, friend or foe, and Professor Winkle, stroke Cap, is on a research submarine. When he gets caught in an air bubble, Cap goes out to try and investigate and ends up having a fight with some sharks. He encounters Tarzak, rescues him from a giant squid. There's a bit of politics in the undersea city where Tarzak lives, it's run by a guy called Dr. Orlock. Before Cap gets away and sort of ruminates and reflects that he probably will meet Tarzak again. Again, it's a bit like a, another backdoor pilot. Yeah. They obviously plans for him because he, he featured in the poster in the, the previous issue. Mm-hmm. And the next story in issue five is called Captain Marvel and the Ghost Patrol. The now, Ghost Patrol? <laughs> yes, the Ghost Patrol were another World War II era DC Comics concept. They first appeared in issue 29 of Flash Comics, dated May 1942, published in March. And they were basically, they were sort of the spirits of three French foreign legionnaires who died and decided just to kind of keep on fighting the good fight. And I'll tell you about the story. This basically, this features Big Max, who Peter mentioned was on the cover. Yes. And Big Max has set up an aeroplane museum as a front to his money-making schemes. He's planning to basically steal some military aircraft and sell them at a profit. Okay. Tries to cause trouble at an air show. Halfway through the story, Big Max and his team suddenly start getting referred to as the Ghost Patrol, but we're not told why, mm-hmm. and they're not actually ghosts. Okay. <laughs> so again, it's another feeling that maybe they've just gone for another name that has a bit of marquee value, and will prompt a bit of recognition in, the, in someone and make them buy the comic. Yeah, a familiar term from the Golden Age. Yeah, I was quite disappointed that it didn't, they didn't actually turn out to be actual ghosts. <laughs> but this point in reading them, I thought... Cat fighting actual ghosts would be quite interesting. Do they go on patrol at all in the story? Nope, they just fly about and cause trouble and Cap stops them. Okay, fair enough. The final <laughs> story then, the final story in the MF Enterprises Captain Marvel Universe. Listeners, thank you for sticking with us. The Ray has escaped on his way to prison and plans his revenge using life-sized dolls, would you believe? <gasps> Tiny Man's involved in a story. The Ray manages to trap him using the dolls. But Cap comes to, to his rescue and with a bit of luck, they manage to stop the Ray. And that was it. July 1967, it was all over. Now, Captain Marvel, obviously, we know that was not the end of the name, Captain Marvel. Pizzi, tell us what happened next. Yeah, so 1967, it came to Martin Goodman, the publisher of Marvel's attention, that there was a comic out called Captain Marvel, and he was not best pleased. Yes. And basically passed on to, to Stan Lee. They should have a character called Captain Marvel. So, kind of rushed together. In October 67, Marvel released... Marvel Superheroes issue 12, which featured their own version of a character named Captain Marvel, who was a Kree soldier. And also in that issue, there was a reprint of a Golden Age Destroyer story as well. Yes, that's another two fingers up to MF Enterprises, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Possibly. So yeah, the Kree had been around for a little while at this point, yeah? Yeah, they'd already been established in Fantastic Four. Now, this caused Myron Fass to sue Marvel for trademark infringement. Mm. But eventually he accepted a settlement out of court and Marvel secured the trademark of the name, basically Marvel, for $4,500, bought the trademark off of Myron Fass. I've seen that the figure $6,000 mentioned, but I can't get any confirmation of that. Right. It looks like it's $4,500 okay. for the name Captain okay. Marvel. 
And of course, Marvel have kept that trademark ever since. Yeah, because Marvel have the trademark to Captain Marvel, it meant that when DC Comics leased the original Captain Marvel from Fawcett in the early 70s, they couldn't actually call the comic Captain Marvel, they had to call it Shazam. Indeed. Which is why over the years the character has become known as Shazam in merchandising, and obviously in recent stories ever since, when we say recent, we mean it in the David and Peter term of the last 15 years, <laughs> when the character was reintroduced in the, the new 52 he was called Shazam up front because they just basically by that point decided to abandon even calling him Captain Marvel in the stories. I'm one of those people that's a little bit annoyed about that because whenever I think of Captain Marvel, I think of Billy Batson and the Big Red Cheese, it must be the said. The Big Red Cheese, absolutely, yes. Yeah, which actually is probably the best point to mention that one issue of the 90s Shazam title, The Power of Shazam, which was written by the legendary Jerry Ordway, yes. issue 27 is the tail end of a story where time has been interfered with and Billy and Mary Batson's parents are alive. And there's one page in issue 27 featuring Wave Rider. If you remember him, Peter, the, the DC Comics yes. time-travelling hero from the 90s. And Wave Rider sort of gesturing, and behind him there's a sort of array of alternative versions of the, the, the Big Reggie's Captain Marvel. Okay. We see Hoppy the Marvel Bunny. We see the character who's named Captain Thunder, who pops up in an issue of Superman in the 70s. Don't worry, listeners, we will get there. Yes. We see a female version with a skirt and an all-in face mask. There's a version which is obviously based on another iteration of the Marvel Captain Marvel, which which we'll come back to. Oh. And there is one which is a Shazam version, if you like, of the MF Enterprises Captain Marvel. He has the oh. colour scheme and the face of the Billy Batson Captain Marvel, but his arm and his head are splitting off and he's flying off in other directions. One of the other versions showing Billy Batson with some metal bands around his wrist and he's banging them together and that's what's causing Captain Marvel to appear behind him. And that's the perfect cue for Pete C to tell you what that's referring to. Yeah, that's actually a later story in the Marvel Captain Marvel series where basically the Hulk's sidekick, Rick Jones, who'd actually been floating about from title to title, really, in Marvel. He'd been the Hulk's sidekick, he'd teamed up with the Avengers, he was Bucky for a while. That's right. In the pages of Captain America, he didn't really have a home. But then he basically came into the Captain Marvel title, and what happened was Captain Marvel, the Marvel version, kind of merged with Rick Jones in such a way that... One of them would be in the negative zone, another one would be on Earth. Yeah. They couldn't be together at the same time. In order to exchange places, they had to bang Captain Marvel's Negabands, where he gets his powers from, together. And Fantastic. They were a big flash of energy, and Captain Marvel would appear. Yeah. They kept that going, didn't they, when they did the series with Captain Marvel's son? Yes, Genisfell, the great Peter David series that crisscrossed on art. That's a really good series, very underrated, not yeah. reprinted. Marvel get on that and reprint that because it's fantastic. They should. I've read some of it because I remember when it was launched, Wizard gave away a little sort of preview promo comic. Oh yeah, the Zero issue, yeah. Which oh. actually had a moment with Rick Jones striking the Negabands and shouting Shazam! <laughs> <laughs> which was Amazing. a lovely little copyright tweaking little moment. I'll see if I can find that panel and I'll put it up yeah. beside the one from Power of Shazam. Yeah, Peter David could get away with that. Not everyone could get away with that, but he could. Yeah. It was a wee wink to yeah. the readers there. It's really nice. I like that. It was very, very funny. A nice little touch. So that's basically it for the MF Captain Marvel. He was around for about a year or so. He mm -hmm. fought some baddies that were very like some other previously established DC characters, and then he went away again. i got to say, I really enjoyed reading all these stories through. I don't know how well that's come across in, in the telling today, but I, <laughs> by the time I got to the end, I was sort of like, oh, I wasn't finished. I would have quite happily read some more. They were great fun. Very simplistic at times. I kind of want to check out the ones that I've not been able to read yet. Yeah, if lockdown ever ends and we're ever recording in the same room again, <laughs> I'll give you a loan of them. Fantastic. There's a naivety, and, and I mean that in the purest sense, I mean... Mm -hmm. 
I'm not going to say they're unprofessional. I'm not going to say they're, they're hack work. You could almost imagine with the right hands, the right the right writers and the right artists, there could have been some... The, the ideas are there, basically, I suppose, is what uh-huh. I'm trying to say. There was a lot of fun. And some really, really interesting stuff with the development of Atom Jaw, the development of Cap himself, yeah. the development of Tiny Man. Tiny Man especially, yeah. The Ray mm-hmm. stroke the bats, constant mm-hmm. exasperation. There's a lot of stuff. And you know, in some ways, they were actually light years ahead of some of their competition with what they were doing. So she, yeah. as you said, it's very accessible. I mean, anyone could pick this up and read it, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of fun to be had in it. Obviously, they were going for brand recognition, and this is a way we can sell comics. And then the double size issue and the higher price ticket was a way they thought, well, let's let's try and market this. It didn't work yeah. as an experiment, and obviously they've yeah. had several legal challenges or mm-hmm. threats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure there's some few phone calls from DC at various points, but it's really, really interesting. And as you said, Myron, he was a bit of a chancer, he was a bit of a merchant who was just trying his best to kind of hop onto whatever bandwagon was passing at the time, and, and he made a shot, and it... They're actually, for all the fly-by-night sort of elements and his motivations, they're, they're actually pretty good. There are comics which we've read for the podcast that I've enjoyed a lot less than <laughs> some of these, so yeah. And certainly this is usually mentioned in the same breath as like the Archie Shadow series of the 60s or the Dell Draculas, mm. basically people have written off as absolute abominations. But as you said, there's a lot of fun to be had in these comics. And Absolutely. if you see them, listeners, check them out because they are a lot of fun. Two of the issues are actually uh, not copyrighted properly, so they are available from the website's Digital Comic Museum or Comic Book Plus, depending on where you're situated in the world. I highly recommend you check out issues one and three. They're both available from there. Awesome. They're absolutely free of charge because they're public domain folks. The rest of them have got correct copyrights on them, so uh-huh. they can't collect them there. But if you want to see a sample of what we're talking about, please check that out. Please do. You, you will not regret it. They're great fun. Issue 3 is an excellent story. I mean, my hope, naive that it is, that somehow someone <laughs> would become aware of these characters and override all the various sort of copyright issues and publish new stories with them. I mean, because you know, they talk nowadays about how we're in the... The intellectual property wars. Mm-hmm. So much of what we've got in the cinema the last couple of years has been, you know, we've got another Charlie's Angels, we've got the, the ongoing Marvel and DC superheroes. They made a, a bloodshot movie based on the Valiant Comics character. I would love some, some big Hollywood executive <laughs> to discover the, the works of MF Enterprises. Can you imagine? Who would you cast as Captain Marvel? Well, exactly. And they'd obviously have to tweak the name, but they could they could go for it. They could do the origin as as the construct on the, the doomed planet. We could have the tiny man, we could have the bat ray, to even just call him the bat ray and just get over it that <laughs> way. We could have, we could meet Mr. Brilliant, we could meet Colonel Cold. There's a lot of untapped potential here. There is. And uh, I'm sure Sean Mugram Scott's available for the part. <laughs> <laughs> What's he done recently? Not a lot. <laughs> yeah, coming soon to a streaming service near you. <laughs> <laughs> A splitting service near you. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, there were no letters pages in any of these issues. No. But that doesn't stop you from writing to us and telling us what you think of these stories and indeed this episode. Slight change mm-hmm. to the format here, but you can email us at the Earth 2 podcast at gmail.com. We'll be putting up select highlights from these stories on our Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Uh, so check us out there uh, on Facebook and Instagram. We're at the Earth 2 podcast and on Twitter we're at podcast underscore Earth 2. Well then, so yes, this has been true to the spirit of the legacy aspect of our mission statement here. You know, another Captain Marvel, another Ray, another Ghost Patrol, another Plastic Man of sorts. Uh-huh. So yeah, it's been a slightly longer episode than normal perhaps, but you know, it was worth covering, we feel. Mm-hmm. And as Pete says, there are some issues that are available, so go and find them and give them a read and let us know what you think. So on that note, I've been Peter. And I've been David. And you've been listening to... The, the Captain, Captain Marvel, Marvel Podcast. Podcast. <laughs> Split! Split!
Transmatter cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth Prime. Zam! We now move to the top of the next page and my phone's ringing. I don't believe it. <laughs>